Welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast, featuring interviews that take us deeper into the people and happenings on the local scene. For more podcasts and a closer look at what's going on in the Valley, visit us at valleyadvocate.com. Hello and welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast. My name is Dave Eisenstatter. I'm the editor of the Valley Advocate. I'm here with Lindsay Sabadosa, Northampton rep and on Beacon Hill. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Morning. And um, we're talking today about the Roe Act, which is an act to uh, remove removing obstacles and expanding abortion access. Yes. Uh, our writer, Luis Fieldman, wrote about it this week in the Valley Advocate and wanted to talk to you as a rep about what this bill means and what it could do for people. Um, first of all, I understand that the bill has majority support in both houses. It uh, does, yes. I, I'm wondering kind of at this point how how confident that you are that the bill might pass this session? Well, we should never be overly confident about anything in Massachusetts politics, but I do feel hopeful that the legislation will pass. Like you said, it does have majority support, and it it had a hearing, had a very, very long hearing um, with lots of people coming in to testify, really on both sides. The opposition that came in to testify against it, though, for the most part, focused on the fact that they don't want abortion to be legal at all. And that's really not on the table. That's not the question that we're dealing with. We're really talking about expanding access. And I like to talk about this as expanding access to make sure that the most vulnerable people in our society have access. So we're talking about um, minors who might not otherwise be able to access abortion. It's not that they can't do that. It's just that barriers are put up. Obstacles are put up. There are financial barriers that are put up all the time um, for people who are trying to get a procedure but maybe don't have $730 in their savings account. Most people in Massachusetts right now don't have that much money in their savings account. So financial obstacles are enormous. And then the final barrier is really the, um, the limitations that the state currently puts on when you can have a procedure. And so the Roe Act would allow people with severe fetal abnormalities to still access abortion. And those cases are some of the most devastating cases that we could possibly discuss. And they are not super common. We are not talking about hundreds of thousands of people who are suddenly going to line up to get a procedure at 28 weeks. We're talking about people who often have very, very desired pregnancies and then find out that something has gone really terribly wrong and that their child would not survive outside of the womb. And and that's why it's important, because if those people aren't given this option, they have three. They can travel to New Mexico. They can travel to Maryland or Washington, D.C. There's possibly... Um, a clinic in, in um, Washington State that also would perform the procedure. But we're talking about traveling far away from home, uh, a lack of follow-up care, a procedure that can take up to four days, and that can cost upwards of 12000 sometimes $28,000, depending on where you go. So providing care within the state and letting people get that care at their own hospital with their own physician where they can go back, they can get the follow-up. I mean, really, at that point, we're talking about reproductive loss, more than anything. And those people a lot of time also just need the follow-up care, the, the mental health care of dealing with what, what can often be considered a trauma. I, I want to ask about the uh, minor, underage, um, people under the age of 18. Sure. Uh, Massachusetts lags behind a couple of neighboring states in that um, New York and Vermont both do not require parental involvement for uh, a minor 
who is seeking an abortion, whereas Massachusetts requires um, either consent of the parent or or a, a judge to sign off on right. that. Um, can you talk about how that kind of be- became a part of this bill, changing that? Sure. And again, this is um, we're not uh, we're not talking about hundreds of thousands of people that this affects. We're talking about a very small percentage of the population. Most people who are under the age of eighteen who go in to have a procedure do get parental consent, and everything is great except that the most vulnerable people in our society aren't able to get parental consent. They maybe don't have happy home lives. They maybe don't have parents. They might be in DCF custody. There are lots of things that could be going on. And in those instances, patients are required to go through a process called judicial bypass, which is where you go before a judge. And it's so ironic. You have to explain to the judge why you are either not mature enough to have an... Why, why, I'm sorry, why they're why you are mature enough to have an abortion or mature enough to be a parent. I mean, those are the choices, right? So it's just this extra barrier and this extra level of stress. Um, Almost in every instance, the judges have agreed that, you know, the patient is mature enough. We haven't, I personally haven't um, found any research showing judges that have denied people, although I'm sure that does exist. But in Massachusetts, we've not seen that. And, uh, it delays the procedure. With abortion, timing is really crucial. So procedures cost a different amount of money based on the number of weeks. Um, and they also, you know, you have different options available. You can do medication abortion up to the first 10 weeks. You can't do that after. So if someone realizes they're pregnant, a young woman realizes that she's pregnant at eight weeks and then has to wait two weeks to go through judicial bypass process, she no longer has the option of a medication abortion. She would have to go through a surgical procedure, which is more invasive. Some people prefer that, but others don't. And this is really about having the option to get health care as you need it, when you need it. Yes. Um, in in Luisa's story, uh, the judicial bypass, the average day, f- uh, amount of time that it took to get that um, consent was about 15 days um, compared to uh, people who just had their parents sign off on that, which was about nine days. And you have to remember, I know some people listening might say, well, two weeks, that's not that big of a deal. But, you know, uh, people who menstruate will, will recognize periods are not always regular. (laughs) You don't always, you're not always able to calculate um, exactly how many weeks you are along and the way way, uh, physicians calculate that for abortion is sort of different. Um, It's not date of conception, it's date of last period, which could either add or subtract weeks. Um, You also have to think that you can't always get an appointment immediately. There are not an enormous number of clinics. There are, there's Planned Parenthood in Springfield and in Worcester and in Boston. There are providers who will on their own provide services, but they're not, you know, listed. So if you're a student at UMass and you are new to Western Massachusetts, you're going to know about Planned Parenthood Springfield, but you're not going to necessarily know that there might be a doctor at an area hospital that would also perform the procedure. So sometimes just getting the appointment is also time consuming. I you know, talk a lot about the fact that I, I do intake and I am also on the board of the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts. So I get to talk to people and they often will say, oh, I live in Munson, but I'm going to drive to Boston because that was the first appointment I could get. So when you're talking about extra time, it really does matter in this case. You made a point in the article as well about uh, being someone who legally reports something like uh, domestic 
abuse um, that a physician would would be a reporting uh, person in that case, whereas a judge doesn't have that same expertise. Well, it's it's not it's maybe not even that the judge doesn't have the expertise, although the physicians clearly are dealing day in day out with patients and they're doing a screening process every year when we go in for our physical. Right, the doctors ask us a series of questions, and those are screening questions to check for for depression and anxiety and other issues, and domestic violence is one of those. Um, so. That is that falls within the wheelhouse of a physician, but a physician is a mandated reporter where a judge is not. A judge's job is to be um, to be neutral and not make those decisions. A physician will call <laughs> DCF or will call the police if that person if if he or she realizes that the patient in front of them is is suffering in some way or there there needs to be some sort of intervention. So it makes more sense in the end for the physician to be the one to determine, is the person in front of me um, who is asking for an abortion, someone who who should who you know really should be getting one? Is there something else going on here that we also need to be taking care of? And physicians are able to determine that. Um, so we talked about the the consent issue, and and you went into some detail about the uh, the cap on twenty four weeks, which yes. is which is the case in in most states, as you were pointing out. I think Mar- Maryland and New Mexico were a few exceptions. There, all states are completely different, and you know, with the fund, we'll get people who are calling who live, like for example, in Nebraska, where it's eight weeks. <laughs> uh, a lot of times, people don't even realize they're pregnant at eight weeks. I also want to talk a little bit more about the. Um, aspect of affording an abortion so that so this bill would open up access to the healthy start um, program for uh, abortion care yes um, uh, which is mainly uh, a fund for other types of, of pregnancy mm-hmm. funding well I mean abortion is part of reproductive health care so it does it does make sense it should be full spectrum care um, like I said before finances really are one of the leading barriers to abortion access it's a lot of a lot of times not being able to afford an abortion at four weeks means that you are saving up money and then you can't afford it when you finally have it all saved up at eight weeks because the price just went up again. And so delayed care is something that we see. And abortion is expensive. Health care is expensive. We all know that, right? Anytime you need anything done, it's incredibly expensive. Abortion, uh, abortion up to the first eight weeks is $730 in the state of Massachusetts. It goes up to over 1000 at a week, eight weeks, and then it just continues to skyrocket. So if people can't afford access, they don't really have it. That's why that portion of the bill is so fundamental. And right now, if you are a mass health patient, it is covered. Massachusetts does cover abortion. We recognize that as part of health care. So we're just kind of expanding that and making sure that really no one is turned away because they don't have funds. And that's that's why the, the, like, the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts exists. And we uh, partner with the Jane Fund in Worcester and the Emma Fund in Boston. I, I also I want to take a step back. Um, so... The Roe Act or, or these these um, uh, protections or expand, expansion of access, uh, why is the legislature looking at this right now as opposed to before? Well, <laughs> it's it's a little sad, but I think with with what can sometimes be dubbed women's rights, which we all know abortion doesn't just affect women, um, and 
But with these pieces of legislation, often we kind of do things in, in bits and pieces. So last session, we actually passed some really great legislation about expanding birth control. Um, and then also the patch bill, which was a patient confidentiality bill. And then we did um, what they dubbed the Nasty Women Act, but that cleared up archaic language within the general code. So I think the the thought was, all right, we've, we've moved forward some really good pieces, especially the part around birth control, which you know, really expanded access. It cut, made birth control free, which is important. Um, the thought was we've done those things and now we can move forward and tackle bigger issues. So you kind of do it piece by piece. And I'm sure, you know, once we pass the Roe Act, there will be more to, to keep focusing on. Do you see the the addition of Brett Kavanaugh onto the Supreme Court as uh, pushing this along any further in anyone's minds, and either your constituents or other other your fellow legislators. I certainly think that that helped push constituents and legislators for sure. Everyone started to say, "Oh my goodness, what can we possibly do?" I mean, we had Neil Gorsuch first, and then we had Brett Kavanaugh, and it just feels like the Supreme Court is moving. It doesn't feel like it is, as a fact, moving in a very conservative direction. And not even a conservative direction where before we had someone like Scalia who read the, you know, the Constitution in a very, very literal way. We're viewing, we're seeing a Supreme Court where people are taking their personal beliefs and imposing them on the Constitution. It's no longer that that liberal conservative divide where it was literal versus more, um, more broader interpretation. This is very different. And so I do think that for legislators, they, they said, well, what, what are we going to do in Massachusetts? And constituents uh, followed suit. And I can't tell you the number of people who have reached out about the Roe Act. It's been truly breathtaking. And I'm thrilled. And then, of course, Northampton stepped up and was the very first city in the Commonwealth to pass a resolution to endorse the Roe Act. And I know sometimes people think resolutions don't matter, but they do. Because when your city is the first to say, we believe in this legislation, it is important. And I got to go back to the State House and say that. And other towns, I think Leiden was the next one that followed suit at their town meeting. Um, but I will tell you, just because I have a little bit of background information, that the Roe Act didn't just come from the, the Kavanaugh hearings. And it, it was thought of well before that. And this has been something that's been in the works. And there's just been an enormous coalition. This legislation has been vetted by group after group after group that was brought to the table to say, is this something you can get on board with? Is this something that makes sense to you? So a lot of, um, of different organizations worked on this. Of course, you have the Plan Planned Parenthood um, and NARAL and the ACLU of Massachusetts that are sort of the leads, but everyone has really come to the table. There's a number of states now, Alabama, Louisiana, Ohio, Missouri, that are trying to pass laws um, that, that are being judicially stopped um, to curtail abortion rights. And here in Massachusetts, there was a ballot initiative by the Massachusetts Alliance to stop tax fit taxpayer-funded abortions in the state that got almost 60,000 signatures. Not enough to get on the 2020 ballot, but there are efforts in this state as well. And um, we have in the story that there, there are some people who call this this bill the infanticide bill. Um, and I just, I, I'm curious kind of, there's a lot of people out there who don't agree with abortion. What, what do you say to those, to those people, um, uh, you know, when you're speaking to them? I've definitely heard this bill called the infanticide bill. I have uh, received 
messages with my picture next to that word. Um, this bill has nothing to do with infanticide because infanticide is not abortion. Um, abortion is, again, basic health care. It is part of reproduction. It, the reproduction is... You know, it includes conception and birth, but it also includes reproductive loss. And I would say to people who are against abortion that we need to stop judging other people and their decisions in life. I have people who have written to me and said that, you know, they, they, they send me pictures of their children and they say, how could you possibly be again, you know, in favor of abortion? And I almost want to respond like that was a beautiful choice you made. You had this opportunity in life to make a choice that you wanted to have these children. And that is wonderful. But someone who decides to have an abortion is also making a choice. And their choice is just as valid as yours. Their life decisions are no, no better or no worse than yours. And we need to allow people to have those options. Because when we take options away, we are dictating what people should do. We are limiting freedoms. And I don't know what happens in this country if that's what we do. Um, well, thank you very much for, for speaking about that. I also, since you're here, I just want to talk to you briefly, or just ask you a little bit sure. about the um, Student Opportunity Act, which, yes. was, which was passed unanimously um, a couple months ago. Um, can, you, can you tell me a little bit about how it's going to affect school districts in this area? Well, it will affect school dis districts in this area very differently. Um, the Student Opportunity Act is something that I like to refer to as a really beautiful piece of social justice. It's a truly progressive piece of legislation because it, it was based on the premise that all ships rise together. And it acknowledged the fact that certain school districts within the Commonwealth were being deeply, deeply, deeply underfunded. And a lot of that had to do with the way that we funded uh, low-income students and second language learners or Eng English language learners. And so this legislation really dug in and said that you, if you're going to have a school district that has, let's even say 60% low-income students, we know that it costs more to educate those students because they're already starting a little bit behind other students. And so you need to invest that extra money. And I'm very proud that the progressives and then the whole body followed suit by standing, standing firm and saying it has to be that extra 100%. And so districts with more students who are low income, who are second language learners, they're going to see a much greater influx of money than other districts. So Holyoke is going to see millions of extra dollars that it deeply deserves and needs. Northampton is going to see less. Our regional schools are not going to be affected the way they need to be. So this legislation, while beautiful and wonderful and absolutely what the Commonwealth needs, is also the first step. Because we then need to go on and we need to talk about districts like Northampton, where it's almost like we have we're, we've pitted charter school parents and public school parents against each other because we refuse to adjust the charter school funding formula. Those families should not be on different sides. They should be on the same sides because we all want good education for our kids. But we need to address the charter school funding formula in order to do that. We then need to look at regionalization. We have asked our rural communities to regionalize, and we have promised that it will save them money, and that is not bearing out. Those districts are still spending lots of money that is not being reimbursed by the state as was promised. So that's another piece. But the Student Opportunity Act, 
did lay the groundwork. It opened up the discussion. Um, we did have a lot of debate within the state house. There was amazing organizing on the outside, especially. I just want to shout out to all the student activists who came out because that's really important. Um, but then we keep going, and you know we have to also acknowledge we've done nothing for early education and we've done nothing for higher ed. So those are also areas that we're going to have to focus on because the student debt crisis, in particular, merits our attention in very large ways and. I can't say that we're going to do that this session. I can't imagine, only because time is running out. Bills have to be reported out of committee, um, technically by February 5th, although there can always be uh, postponements of that. But I think that within the next session, we are going to have to take on the student debt crisis and the many other issues that plague education. And I also want to ask you, we've got our presidential primary coming up. Do you Have you picked a candidate yet? I'm so close, um, but um, I'm not going to uh, publicly say that at this point. Um, well, thank you so much for coming in, Lindsay Sabadosa. Um, really appreciate you talking to us about the Roe Act. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to visit us at valleyadvocate.com.